You're listening to In My Father's House with our pastor and teacher, Mike Venezia, Senior Pastor of Harvest Christian Fellowship in New York City, New York. In my Father's house, there's a place for me. In my Father's house, where I long to be, oh, my heart will not be troubled. I remember what you said. I'm going to have success, and whatever I put my hand to is going to prosper. Not so. I believe eventually it will happen as you follow this formula, but normally with God, success takes time. Now, why do you think that would be? Well, lest it go to our heads. We're not ready for it. We're not prepared for it. We're not mature enough for it. It goes to our heads. It'll lead us astray. And thus, God has to teach us humility. Do you ever look around at the success of your co-workers, friends, or family members and feel jealous or unsatisfied? It's a normal human feeling to want to be more than others or have more than the people around us. But it's a slippery slope when we take our focus off what God wants us focused on to the things around us. Today in his message, Pastor Mike uses the success that Joseph had in his life to remind us that God does want success for us, but on His terms and in His perfect timing. Now here's Pastor Mike in the book of Genesis chapter 39 as he continues his message, Rags to Riches. Now, notice with Jesus, this happened over a considerable period of time. How many years? Well, what did I just say? 33 years. Now, this was also true of Joseph. There's a progression here. You see, God prospered him when he was a menial slave, when he was first brought down to Egypt. Remember, he was sold by his brothers. There was a caravan of Midianites, or rather Ishmaelites, that were going down to trade their goods in Egypt. They thought they'd make a couple of dollars by selling their brother Joseph into slavery, so off he goes. And now they're down in Egypt. Joseph is placed upon the slave block. And wouldn't you know it, this is all ordained by God. This has all been worked out in the eternal counsels of God, all been predetermined, right? And he's bought by this fellow who we're introduced to here, one of Pharaoh's chief officers, uh, Potiphar, right? But when he first went into the employee of Potiphar, he was given menial tasks to do. So at first, he was just simply a menial slave. But over a period of time, his owner, Potiphar, discovered that Joseph did his work and did his work well. And therefore, he was then moved. Now, follow the progression here. Then he was moved to Potiphar's house. 
to his dwelling place. And while he was there within his master's house, Potiphar discovered that God was with him. And therefore, and that wasn't the only servant, by the way, that was in Potiphar's house, but then because of the fact that he realized that God's favor was upon him, he promoted him to his personal attendant. And the result of which was his estate prospered, and all matters were left to Joseph's care. He didn't even know, he didn't know how much money he had on the, in the bank, right? All he knew was what he was going to eat that particular night when he came to the kitchen table, basically. Now, let me ask you the question. How long did this process of recognition and advancement take for Joseph? Well, think about it. He was 17 years old when he was sold into slavery. According to chapter 41, we haven't gotten to that part yet. We'll get to it in one of our messages. In chapter 41 and verse 46, we are told that when Joseph was 30 years old, it was then when Pharaoh, not Potiphar, but Pharaoh, the king, the most powerful man on the face of the earth at that time, promoted him. And then also, even prior to that, Joseph wound up in prison for a period of two years before that. Okay, so subtracting 17, when he was first sold into slavery, 17 years, and then two years from 30, the two years that he spent in prison, from the 30 years where he was promoted by Pharaoh, the king, leaves 11 years. So for Joseph, it was 11 years for the full measure of the blessings of God upon Joseph to be recognized. Now, why have I gone a long way to make this point? Well, this is very, very important. Because remember, what the subject that we're treating here is the subject of success and being promoted. And folks, as far as I know, and this has also been my experience, and counseling people over these many years in ministry, we need to be patient. And promotion and success usually doesn't happen overnight. That is normally with God. Success takes time. And so this is an area where people suppose that advancement from God must come quickly. I mean, I'm a child of God. Therefore, boom, immediately I'm going to be promoted. I'm going to have success. And whatever I put my hand to is going to prosper. Not so. I believe eventually it will happen as you follow this formula. But normally with God, success takes time. Now, why do you think that would be? Well, lest it go to our heads. We're not ready for it. We're not prepared for it. We're not mature enough for it. It goes to our heads. It'll lead us astray. And thus, God has to teach us humility. First, that's the first lesson that we need to learn. Humbleness. So we mustn't be impatient. But we need to have our priorities straight. So, again, you want to be successful? Well, listen, this is what you need to do. Put God first. Seeking his favor before man's favor and human approval. And yes, you might run up against some setbacks. And as we will discover in just a moment, man, Joseph came up against a major setback. We're talking about Potiphar's wife, but we'll leave that to another Bible study. But we'll give you a little taste of that in just a moment. Here's the formula. Serve God first, and that 
for a lifetime. And you'll never be sorry, gang. You'll never be sorry. God will bless you. He'll enrich your life. And everything that you put your hand to will prosper. So in this Christian approach to success, here's the simple formula. So if you're taking notes, write this down quickly. Please God and seek his blessing, number one. Let me say it again. Number one, please God and seek his blessing. Number two, do this over a long period of time. Just hang in there and be patient. But we are not to think that our service is Godward only. It's not only spiritual, but it's also practical. You know, I hope that you perceive this message as being a very practical one as well. There's some spiritual parts to it, of course, but I hope that you perceive it as being a very practical message as well. I want you to understand Joseph did not neglect the interests of his master. You know, I remember back in Alaska, before I even got involved in ministry, we were a bunch of hippies, man. We were part of the Jesus freak. We were called Jesus freaks. We were part of the Jesus movement. This is like in the late 60s, early 70s. The church that we were part of was a communal ministry. And we didn't live in the commune. We were, although we were there for a while before we were sent out to teach at the school up in Alaska, up in, up in the bush. So we, we did live there for a couple of weeks prior to our assignment up on the Yukon River in the Arctic Circle in a, in a little Athabasca in Indian village called Caltech. The most of the people that attended the church lived in this communal situation. They lived apart from one another. There was one section that was for the men and another section that was for the, the women. And everything was above board. It, they had pastors, they had assistant pastors, they had deacons, they had elders and, and such. It was just a regu regular kind of a, a church. Well, anyway, the pastor approached me after we came back from our teaching assignment after the year was over, and uh, because we, there was a lot of young people in it, and it was very difficult for them to make money. And uh, they had no education, they, they didn't have any skills, and we had this opportunity to purchase this business. Well, we didn't actually purchase the business, we purchased the franchise. And it was a cleaning business. And listen, my wife and I, we were school teachers, we didn't know anything about the cleaning business, but we agreed because we were going to provide employment for our brothers and sisters within the church. So we thought it was a good thing. So we had all of these contracts. We had, the, we had Nordstrom's up in Anchorage. We had J.C. Penney. We had a bunch of banks in and around Anchorage. We had some office buildings as well. It was very lucrative. But, you know, all of the money went back into paying our employees, these young kids, these hippies, who had just recently given their lives to Christ. But here, this was the problem. Hey, I'm a Christian. I'm only concerned about spiritual things. I'm not concerned about, you know, putting an honest day's in, uh, work in for an honest day's pay. You know what I'm talking about? They were a bunch of hippies. We were all a bunch of hippies back then in those days. That's what I'm talking about here. So Joseph did not neglect the interests of his master. He worked zealously to be sure those interests were furthered. And consider Joseph for a moment. This was no small thing. Think of his disadvantages. Think of the obstacles that he had to overcome. For example, he came from another culture, the different ways. Then how about the language barrier? He was a Hebrew, right? He was down in Egypt. So think about the language barrier. But nevertheless, he plunged ahead to learn the skills and all of the trades that were necessary. 
You know, he must have taken long hours. It must have taken a great commitment. You know, today's equivalent of this would have been putting in extra hours at the office. Oh boy, you don't want to hear that. Or how about going to school at night? That's what's involved here. That's what it's going to take if we want to be successful. You know, one writer commenting on this said, and I quote, Joseph was not only good and chaste, he diligently poured out prayers to God for his master, for the king, for Pharaoh, and for the whole land of Egypt. But he was also a most vigilant overseer and manager of the domestic tasks. But you know what? This is ordinary. This isn't something that just applies to Joseph or someone of that type and caliber. This is equally our responsibility as well. You know, Paul writing to the church at Ephesus, and by the way, I would remind you that when Paul wrote that letter, there were over six million slaves within the Roman Empire. So in Ephesians chapter 6, he's writing to address those. The equivalent of that would be, would be you know, blue-collar workers, like yourselves, most of you. Okay? So this would apply to you and to me as well. In Ephesians chapter 6, in verses 5 through 8, bondservants. So put your name right there. Bondservants. Be obedient to those who are your masters. Okay, now I, don't, I know that you don't want to think of your employer as your master, so, okay, so you don't have to, but according to the flesh, with fear and trembling, in sincerity of heart as to Christ. Because the truth of the matter is you're serving the Lord and faithfully discharging your duty at your place of employment. Not with eye service. What does that include? Oh, when the boss is in the office, you know, then you're going to do everything that you've been hired to do. Then you're going to be working diligently at your, at your desk. And then when he leaves, you know, you're just going to kick back and, you know, your feet up on your desk. It's just the eye service. It's just a big show. Not with the eye service as man-pleasers, but as bondservants of Christ. Doing the will of God from your heart. With goodwill, doing service as to the Lord and not to men. Knowing that whatever good anyone does, he will receive the same from the Lord, whether he is a slave or free. And so Joseph, favored by God, and man, listen, this is Joseph's life. This is his story down in Egypt. But unfortunately, he was also favored, as I've already suggested, by Potiphar's wife. Because notice in verse 7, and it came to pass after these things, everything's going great, man, right? Favor with God, favor with man. His master, Potiphar, is completely confident with Joseph. Everything is just working out. He's being elevated to different positions now, and, and everything is just smooth. But all of a sudden, right, there's a, a wrench thrown into the mix here, right? And we read, and it came to pass after these things, as so often as it does, right? Because none of us are exempt from these kinds of things in our life's experience, just because you're a Christian. You know, you're, you're on a roll, man. You're in the zone, right? And then all of a sudden, the monkey wrench comes. Boom! There's a Potiphar's wife. And let me tell you something, Potiphar's wife is still alive and well today. And you know, they'll come and they'll bat your eyes at you, pay you the compliments, right? You haven't heard a compliment from your wife in years, right? And now all of a sudden your secretary is paying you an awful lot of attention and you let it go to your head. 
be careful. There's a lot of Potiphar's wives still around and still alive today. But anyway, his master's wife, and she cast longing eyes on Joseph, and she said, lie with me. You see, she had dubious plans for Joseph. But again, as I mentioned, we'll get to that next time. The title of that message is Overcoming Temptation. There are certain principles that are laid out for us in the coming text that will help you to overcome any temptation that you'll ever have to face. But we'll leave that to next Sunday. But then suddenly, think about it now. For Joseph, it's a choice. Who am I going to serve? Am I going to give in to this temptation? You know, he could have thought, yeah, you know what? Who's going to know? I mean, I'll be doing the old boy a favor, Potiphar. He's always busy, you know, taking care of the king's duties, and no one's really going to know. I already have favor with him. You know, I might as well have favor with, you know, Potiphar's wife as well. And, and, and throw this into the mix. He was at the height of his sexual maturity, right? He was, all of those things were probably working against him. He could, he could have probably thought, you know, who's going to know, right? You know, I'll do the old boy a favor, satisfy his wife sexually, right? I mean, he could have bought into that whole thing. So now he's faced with a choice. Am I going to serve God or am I going to serve man? But listen, you know how the thing plays out if you've read on here. Joseph is determined to walk with God. Whatever it might cost him, his position, his wealth, everything. And you know what? We're going to discover that's exactly what it cost him. Because remember, he wouldn't yield to Potiphar's wife's advances and then he runs out of the house naked because she's holding on to his garment, right? And then she, to cover up her dubious plan, suggests that Joseph was trying to rape her. And off he goes into prison. And then the next thing leads to the interpretation of the dreams whereby he's elevated to second only. But again, I don't want to get ahead of myself. But nevertheless, folks, you know what that is? That's called Christian integrity. That's who Joseph was. You know, this reminds me of another in our cast of characters here in our series in the book of Genesis. Someone that we were introduced to back in Genesis chapter 5. Someone whose name was Enoch. And uh, not much information is actually provided for us concerning this man Enoch in Genesis chapter 5. It just simply it tells us, and Enoch walked with God and he was not. Sort of a type of the rapture of the church. God just took him. You know, Enoch was absolutely faithful to God, and one day God just took Enoch. But we are given some more pieces of the puzzle concerning this man and what his life was all about and his calling of ministry in the book of Jude in verses 14 and 15 of the book of Jude. It's only one chapter long. But Enoch was a preacher who lived in the time before the flood. And you know what that was like, right? Continually, the thoughts were only on evil, the Bible tells us. And he preached against the ungodliness of his generation. So Enoch's story is told, first of all, in Genesis chapter 5, verses 21 through 24. And then also in the New Testament, he is inducted, if you will, into the Hall of Faith chapter, Hebrews chapter 11, along with Moses and David and the other great saints of the Old Testament. But in Jude, verses 14 and 15, we're given some significant information. Now, Enoch, the seventh from Adam, in the line of Adam, prophesied 
about these men also. Now, this is the time uh, just prior to the flood where God was going to judge the earth and begin all over again, saying, Behold, the Lord comes with ten thousands of his saints to execute judgment. That was the message. It was a message of judgment on all to convict all who are ungodly. That's who the message was being directed towards, the ungodly. Among them of all, and then he uses the word again, their ungodly deeds, which they have committed in, and there's the word again, ungodly way, and of all the harsh things which ungodly sinners have spoken against him. And so his message was centered on the ungodliness of his contemporaries. Notice the word ungodly is used no less in one verse four times. So the point is, that was a very unpopular message. No one wants to hear that. When you're living and walking in darkness, you don't want to be told, you know, you're ungodly and God's going to judge you. You don't want to hear anything like, you don't want to hear that. You don't want to be convicted of your sin. You don't want someone coming and turning on a bright light in the midst of your darkness, do you? So Enoch's message was a very unpopular message. But again, simply in Genesis chapter 5, we're told Enoch walked with God, highlighting his chief characteristic of his long and faithful life. Oh, that God would be able to say that about you. Oh, that God would be able to say that about me. Oh, that we would be able to legitimately write that as our epitaph on our tombstone when, God forbid, he should take us prior to the rapture of the church, right? Remember, Enoch lived in a decadent society. He was constantly being bombarded to do the wrong thing. He was mocked constantly for doing the right thing. But he did not yield. He, like Joseph, was walking with God. You see, he knew as long as he was walking, not everyone was sinning. At least there'd be one guy that would be himself. As long as he was standing for righteousness, he thought, others might stand for righteousness as well. We need a generation of men and women exactly like that today. We need more Josephs. We need more Enochs. Christians who serve humanity as they serve Jesus above all and are listening for his commendation as it is recorded for us in Matthew's Gospel in chapter 25 and verse 23. Listen, one day we're all going to stand before God. And I know that it's within our desire, every one of us, to hear these words. His Lord said to him, Well done, good and faithful servant. You have been faithful over a few things. I will make you ruler over many things. Enter into the joy of your Lord. Folks, there you have it. That's the secret of how to go from rags to riches. In my father's house, there's a place for me. In my father's house, where I long to be. When something gets close to an ending, we naturally turn our attention to the beginning. When a child is about to graduate, we look at baby pictures. When a beloved spouse of many years grows close to death, we go over the story of how we met. When we pack up our stuff and move away from a house, we remember the first times we walked in the door. 
And as we draw close to the end of days, it seems only fitting to return to in the beginning. We can watch as light is created in land and sea and all the creatures, day and night in the sun and moon. And when we take a look at the glorious and amazing creation of the world, we can remember that it's the same God from the beginning who is ruling over the end. We can watch in awe, remembering that the end is also good news as we eagerly await His return. And here at In My Father's House, we're so glad you've decided to spend your day with us. In My Father's House is a ministry out of Harvest Christian Fellowship in Midtown Manhattan. It's easy to get here with access from Port Authority and Penn Station on 34th. We'd love to see you. Pop over to our website, harvestnyc.org, to find times and so much more. And if you feel compelled to partner with this ministry financially, there's a link for that as well. Again, that's harvestnyc.org. While you're there, take a look around to find additional audio, a link to our Vimeo and podcasts. That's all we have time for today. We've loved spending time with you, and we can't wait to meet up with you again. See you next time here in my father's house.